Welcome, everybody, to Between the Lines, a podcast produced by the Louis Jacobs Foundation and committed to Rabbi Jacobs' belief that the quest for Torah is itself Torah. My name is Simon Eder, and each week I'm joined by a special guest who helps us to deconstruct that week's parsha, exploring new paths on the quest for Torah. And as we continue our journey this year through Bereshit, it is wonderful to welcome Rabbi Rebecca Rosenthal to explore with us Vayetze. Rabbi Rosenthal joined Central Synagogue in New York in the summer of 2015 as Director of Youth and Family Education. And prior to Central, Rabbi Rosenthal was the Director of Children and Family Education at ICAR, a nationally recognized innovative spiritual community in L.A. She's been involved in numerous national conversations about the future of congregational education, including the conservative Moments Task Force Um, on congregational education and the Reframe initiative to examine and implement experiential education in a religious school setting. Rabbi Rosenthal, really warm welcome to you as we explore an incredible parasha together this week. Thank you very much for having me. I'm very glad to be here. So we really have in the opening of Vayetze an important moment in Jacob's journey. Of course, his epiphany really encapsulated in the opening verses of of the parasha. So from Genesis 28, 10 to 17, what really do you see as the importance of this moment. So first, I have to give some credit to my teacher, Rabbi Sharon Browse of Ikar in Los Angeles, who uh, taught me this framing around epiphany, specifically for this moment, but also for a number of other moments in the Torah. And I think one of the, there are actually multiple epiphanies that Jacob has in his life, but this one where he wakes up and he says, God was in this place and I didn't know that he is having a change in his understanding of the role that God plays in his life. Before this moment, he is in conflict with his brother, in conflict with his father, tricking his father and tricking his brother. And he is in some ways operating as though he is the person in control of everything in his life, as though he is the person who's going to be able to make all of the decisions. And he has this dream and he realizes, actually, God is with me and God is helping me and God is protecting me. And that as he goes on what may or may not be a perilous journey, he doesn't know, he starts to realize what that God needs to play a role in his life and in his decision-making. 
so I know we look forward perhaps to exploring other epiphanies in uh, biblical and uh, and perhaps rabbinic contexts as well. In this instance, we see a real humility, a kind of change of heart compared to what has uh, gone before. Maybe could you help unpack this particular passage? And I know I think you have a great analogy with a passage in To Kill a Mockingbird, if you might share that analogy and, and how it helps us to contextualize and understand these important phrases. Sure. When Jacob goes to sleep in this sort of random, seemingly random clearing, and he has a stone as a pillow, he is absorbed in many ways in his own life in his own drama of all of the things that have just happened to him with his brother and his father and and having to leave his ancestral home, leave his father's home and go uh, on a journey elsewhere. And he is really, in a lot of ways, not a very good person in this moment. He takes advantage of Esau when Esau comes in from the field and he's hungry. And he, of course, with his mother's help, tricks his father into giving him the blessing. And in some ways, we just see Jacob as being fairly self-absorbed. And when he wakes up and when he realizes that God was in this place, it is at least an opportunity for Jacob to make different choices going forward. He does not transform completely. He still has a number of challenges, most especially with his wives and his children. But you can see Jacob, a a little bit of transformation in Jacob's character, and you get even more as he, as we see other epiphanies in his life. But when I put together some sources about this topic, I was remembering a passage from the end of To Kill a Mockingbird, when Scout goes and is standing on the Radley porch at the end of the novel, and looks and says to herself, wow, I've never seen our neighborhood from this angle before. And then she realizes that Atticus was right, that you don't know someone until you stand in their shoes and walk around in them. And that there's something about the perspective change of standing on the Radley porch and thinking about all of the things that Boo Radley must have seen her do in her life and the way in which that may have informed their relationship or the way that Boo Radley acted or any of those things. But I think her most important epiphany is that you really, to understand someone, you have to be able to stand in their perspective. And Jacob doesn't get all the way there, actually, in this moment. He gets part of the way there, right? He said, Rashi says, if I had known that Jacob says, if I had known that God was here, I wouldn't have gone to sleep in this place. And I think that's not exactly Um, the lesson that Jacob should take from this moment, right? That we should always walk around trying not to go to sleep in case God is around us. Sleep is important. But really that the lesson is that you sometimes have to change your perspective. You have to change your location. You have to change, which is really what what a scout does in the To Kill a Mockingbird. She literally changes her location. And here also, Jacob changes his location and starts to see the world from a very different perspective. We actually reflected in last week's podcast that of the 
forefathers, Jacob is certainly the one who goes through the most transformations. He is on a continual journey, a continual quest, um, if you will. Of course, the other important epiphany that Jacob has is in his meeting of perhaps the angel, we don't quite know exactly with who he is wrestling, but his wrestling match in slightly late in, in Barisha chapter 32. How do you see this episode um, here in chapter 28 and then 32? How do you see them as similar or different? They're similar because they both, at least in Jacob's mind, involve some kind of encounter with the divine. We don't know if the if it's a man, if it's an angel, what it is. But at the end of that sort of section, Jacob says, I have seen the divine being face to face. And so at least in Jacob's mind, both of these are encounters with the divine. But if you think about the first one, you have Jacob, really all he does is go to sleep. He doesn't play an active role in his epiphany in any way. And so anything he learns from it comes a little bit by accident. And I think that's, it's not a bad thing. It's just where he is in his life. There's been too much going on for him that maybe he can't actually take an active role in this understanding. And it's more like God sends a flashing sign to say, pay attention over here, Jacob, I'm in this place. But in the second piece where Jacob is actually wrestling actively with the angel, and he even, as we know, comes away injured, he has played an active role in the epiphany. And his learning is more hard won and potentially maybe sticks a little bit longer. That that it is after this moment that we see Jacob, we see some changes in his relationship with God. He's still not great in his relationship with his children. He hasn't really learned the lessons of his own childhood. But in the wrestling one, Jacob is playing a role in bringing the epiphany to light. And I think part of it is just because he's at a very different place in his life. He has his wives and his children. He's grown a little bit. and he. But just like in the first one, he's also facing a very uncertain future. He doesn't know what's going to come when Esau comes to meet him. And so both of these epiphanies take place under tremendous stress. It's just a question of what kind of role Jacob is actually playing in that. And then maybe drawing on your earlier comments about how this episode here, how it relates perhaps to other epiphanies that we see in biblical literature, does it act as a kind of a paradigm that is used elsewhere? Really grateful for your thoughts around that. It's interesting because I think we transition a little bit once we start talking about Moses and then in rabbinic literature, I, I cannot claim to know all of rabbinic literature, but at least the ones that I started thinking about is that the epiphanies don't always come from God. There are other examples where God is the one who gets involved when Hagar uh, realizes that in front of her is uh, water and she's able to save herself and Ishmael, right? That is an epiphany that comes from God opening her eyes. But Moses also has an epiphany in the situation where he 
where he kills the taskmaster and runs away. He has an epiphany that he is a Hebrew and that his people are being oppressed. And the way he responds to that, we can debate whether that's the right decision or not to respond with that kind of violence. But that epiphany actually comes from within Moses. That comes from seeing the plight of another human being and realizing that they are the same and realizing that they are one and realizing that he, as Moses, has an obligation actually to take care of the people around him. And if God plays a role, the text doesn't tell us. My other favorite kind of moment of epiphany and is from rabbinic literature when Rabbi Akiva, who has not yet studied any Torah, and he is looking at water wearing away at a rock and making a hole in a rock. And he realizes that just as the water very slowly can make an impact on a rock, that, st- that he, even though he's old, 40 is not old, but it's old in, in rabbinic time, that even though he is old for starting his study, that Torah could make an impact on his brain. And again, that's not God coming and opening Rabbi Akiva's eyes, but it's Rabbi Akiva really getting a change of perspective and looking around and saying, huh, actually, like the life I was living is maybe not the life I was meant to be living and I can make other choices and other decisions. Fascinating that you reference epiphanies as both being with God and without God. Is there a distinction between those two? That's a really interesting question, because I think you could say even the epiphanies that happen without God maybe come from God. But if we're going to just take the text on its face, some of it comes, I think, uh, from within Moses or within within Rabbi Akiva, not as much from a kind of outside, from an outside source, potentially. But I think it is really about what, A, where you are in that moment, and B, what you do with that information. If we go back to Moses, Moses is having a great life living in the palace as one of Pharaoh's children and, or grandchildren. And, and he knows he's a Hebrew, but he doesn't really know what that means. And it's only when he has this epiphany and he realizes actually that there's injustice in the world. And he realizes that he, Moses, is in the position to do something about that injustice that he can actually make any change. And whether you say that comes from God or comes from within him, I don't think that's really important as it, but the more important thing is that Moses and Rabbi Akiva both take their epiphanies and they use it to change their lives and the lives of the people around them, right? Rabbi Akiva ends up with 24,000 students eventually. Moses, of course, goes on to be the leader of the Jewish people, but he also goes on to be someone who at various points, tries to stand up for what he knows to be right. He stands up for Zipporah at the well and her sisters at the well. He stands up for the Jewish people at various moments when God tries to destroy them. And I really do think that this is one of the moments in Moses's life where he realizes what it means both to be a leader and to be someone who pays attention to the suffering around you. Rabbi Rosenthal, thank you so much for guiding us through this particular passage today and also your references to 
various other important places too where we encounter important echoes. Thank you very much for having me. I really think this idea is one of the gifts that Torah gives us, the idea that our lives can change by the things that we see and that opening our eyes and and seeing what's around us and realizing that we have the power to have an effect on the world is a great gift from Torah and from tradition. Amen to that. And thank you for sharing so wonderfully today. Thank you. Thank you for listening, everyone. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please do remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can find out more information about our work on our sites, louisjacobs.org and also jewishquest.org. Do tune in again next week as we continue our quest through Bereshit together. Mm -hmm.